Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on TalkShoe February 6, 2010. Biota Live is a continuation of the Biota Podcasts. For more information, check out biota.org slash podcast. And if you're interested in participating in Biota Live, you can get the details also via biota.org slash podcast. It's live internet radio. Anyone can call in. There's a chat that's open, and anyone can participate in the chat as the show is going on. We are currently recording on Saturday. It's moving to 8 p.m. Pacific, so similar to the Friday, except on the Saturday currently. I think probably we'll try a few times on the Saturday. As I mentioned in the previous two Biot Lives, uh, my wife has a, a course on, on Saturday afternoon and early evening, so it just makes it easier to do the podcast recordings on a Saturday. And uh, this evening, our, our guest is none other than Hervé Noel, who um, I'm expecting to call in in a minute, but it's wonderful to have a chance to chat with Hervé. He's been part of the biota community for a few years now, and certainly his EvoRAN development is something that a number of people in the community have used and talked about very highly. So it'll be wonderful to chat with Hervé in a few minutes. And uh, for folks who have subscribed to the Biota Conversations mailing list, you'll know that recently I sent an email requesting feedback associated with the mailing list. It's coming up to five years now that I've been the editor of Biota.org, and certainly surveying the community currently, there seem to be a number of strengths, obviously, with how we've been doing this podcast in particular for the past four years, and also the Biota Conversations mailing list. But uh, a few people have identified some weaknesses as well, and I think it's important that we address uh, those going forward. And part of that is certainly the number of mailing lists that we have operational and also just the kind of projects that Biota is championing currently. There's been discussion probably for at least the past three years associated with creating an open-source artificial life site, either on the Biota site or elsewhere, similar to SourceForge or FreshMeat or things like that. And I think the momentum associated with that, and particularly a, a social site where individual users on the site can do regular updates and potentially blog posts and these kind of things, the whole, the whole movement towards those kind of interfaces, I think, is um, certainly motivating my thinking currently. And I've had discussions both on the Biota Conversations mailing list and also with uh, folks that have contacted me directly uh, about what we need in that regard. It's been a topic of conversation, well, pretty well through the entire Biota Live series in terms of open source licensing and just how we'd construct such a site. But certainly the, the momentum is moving towards uh, this kind of site being set up either on the Biota site or, like I said, potentially somewhere else. So I'm interested in gathering feedback currently from the Biota community associated with the various components of Biota. Do you like the podcast recordings in the current format? Would you like to have uh, mailing lists that dealt with other issues? Uh, would you like certain things to uh, to be discussed on, on Biota Live? And how about the site? Would you like to be able to you know access a, a more dynamic uh, user content created site? associated with artificial life. And certainly the feedback that I've received so far has been very interesting. I've not made any firm or hard decisions as yet. But I wanted to just alleviate some concerns that were going through the Biota Conversations mailing list in particular. I don't think there will be any substantial format changes. In fact, I don't think there will be any 
format changes with regards to the biota conversations mailing list and also both the podcast feeds, both the uh, biota, uh, well, the normal biota feed uh, and also uh, the biota live light feed. Both of these feeds are uh, critical in terms of getting out podcasts to the community. And it's ironic uh, that we're talking to Hervé this evening because Hervé was the reason that we have the uh, Biota Live Light feed in particular. So I'm certainly very mindful of the services that uh, you know the Biota community already has. Uh, but I'm just interested in uh, folks corresponding that may have some feedback points with regards to directions they'd like to see the podcast going, directions they'd like to see the site going, and potentially also the mailing lists. And certainly the correspondence that I've gotten so far has kind of reflected a few dominant themes. So I'm interested in hearing from folks in the community about, you know, the way they feel uh, things with Biota can improve. Hello, Tom. Can you hear me? I can, perfectly. Wonderful to have you on Biota Live this evening. Yes, hi. Good evening, Tom. You've timed your call perfectly. Uh, because I've just finished the news and notes, so we can get into to talking about Evo Rand, your background in artificial life, and any other topic you'd like to discuss. So, Herbert, uh, welcome to Biota Life. Like I was saying, you have a long-standing interest in artificial life. I was reading through the Evo Rand documentation, and uh, it says that you kind of started your interest in artificial life in the late 80s, but only recently started developing Evo Rand. Can you kind of map your your trajectory interest in artificial life leading up to, uh, to Evo Rand today? Well, I actually studied in, in France in a, what is called engineering school. Um, this is uh, quite similar to some universities in the, in the States. And uh, I specialized in uh, applied mathematics, and I studied quite a lot artificial uh, intelligence and uh, genetic algorithm being applied to optimization uh, of, uh, well, being used to optimize for optimization and uh, I actually at the end of my studies I was actually quite interested in testing genetic algorithm how to say with a with, with creatures without uh, not to solve a a specific problem but uh, to simulate uh, an environment with a, how, how to explain that well I, I wanted to test whether uh, using genetic algorithm over creatures which had no specific goal to uh, to solve, um, what would happen, basically. And uh, I tried to do this with a computer I had at that time, which was an Apple IIc, and it was far too slow to, to be able to obtain anything. So I stopped that for about 10 years, and in 1998, I bought a new computer solely for this to try to develop this simulator, which had a different name at that time. It was called uh, Genetic World. And um, uh, in the immediately I was testing, well, my, my main objective was to actually test <coughs> large populations and uh, have a simulator that runs pretty fast to have many generations being run in, in a few hours or a few days and just to see what happens. <laughs> That's the basis for con the contemporary Evo Rand. Is it is it basically the same program, or has there been has there been any major modifications? Well, I think the principle from the uh, haven't changed. I've just uh, I keep adding. How to say? At the beginning, I had a fairly simple simulation of the DNA, which was a fixed size and everything pretty hard coded, 
and a fairly basic uh, representation of the world, which was in, in 2D, squarish, and simulation of the time that was also uh, my quantum of time. And as time goes on, I try to add more flexibility, more uh, make the space of search larger. How to say? My, my main objective actually is to try to find whether uh, through this kind of stimulation, there can be group behaviors. Uh, a number of uh, creatures who have, uh, uh, just like ants, for example, um, through evolution would uh, show a behavior that is suitable for survival of a group rather than survival of an, uh, of an individual creature. So from the very beginning, I was trying to find a way to segregate different creatures in groups, which I call species. Over time, I tried to actually improve this by analyzing the gene genealogical tree, the, 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 um, the parent-child tree of uh, all the descendants, and separate species one from the other. I've also added uh, a visualization in, in 3D. And one of the things I added about two years ago was to actually uh, change the DNA to be of variable size so that uh, uh, the DNA itself is being passed and the genes are extracted from the DNA. And this gives a lot more flexibility to the, to the simulation itself. So I'm just trying to test new ideas. <laughs> For example, testing uh, what is the effect of uh, adding a tide um, having the effect, what is the effect of adding uh, the sun <coughs> and uh, day and night and creatures being able to capture energy from the sun in the day and having no energy at night and try to get inspiration from life on earth and test new ideas here and there. Terrific. And in terms of the variable length DNA, is this something which uh, I mean, in terms of iterations, after a certain number of generations, will will the length of the DNA increase slightly through mutation, or is this preset? And is the complexity of the creature directly related to the length of the DNA? Yes, yeah, actually, there are uh, well many parts of the creatures are being coded in the DNA, including the mutation rate. But there's a, a particular parameter which is called the which I call the, the growth rate, which actually, which is also coded in the DNA, and this growth rate is actually from one generation to the next generation uh, affect how fast the DNA would increase in size or reduce in size. And uh, indeed, if I just leave it like this, you tend to have a very very long DNA. So, um, so for example, to avoid having very long DNA, uh, I just uh, time the well upon the the, the, the gestation is that the, the term in English mm -hmm. the time for a creature to be born it depends on the length of the DNA so obviously if the uh, DNA becomes very long the time for the creature to be born takes longer the energy from the parent is more and that naturally just limit the size that's the kind of technique I have to implement to avoid uh, having DNA that are big, very 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 long and uh, basically the behavior of the creature is a set of rules, and those rules are extracted from the DNA. So a longer DNA would make a, a more complex uh, set of rules and a more complex behavior. Certainly, certainly. So you mentioned an interest in neural networks initially. Is, is there any neural network behavior in EvoRand? Kind of. It doesn't work very well, but kind of. Uh, basically, the idea that I've tested is 
the, the, the rules themselves have a number of parameters, weights, let's say, and uh, through the life of a creature, if the rule was beneficial uh, or the opposite, uh, then the, the, the weights of the rules are being adjusted. That's the only, it's not really neural networks, but it's some kind of uh, learning, let's say. But there's no real neural networks because uh, my main objective is being to, to have a simulator that is pretty fast, to have uh, many generations in, in several seconds. Then uh, neural networks is, tends to be, to be quite slow. So, but indeed, I worked for five years in neural networks after my studies, but uh, I've not really implemented this. Uh, not like Polyworld, for example. Now, now you mentioned Polyworld, but in terms of inspiration for Everend, did you take it from a variety of sources? I mean, <laughs> Polyworld would have come out what four years before you started Everend, but were there other artificial life simulations that uh, gave you inspiration? Actually, not at all. I started in 1998, and I had uh, zero contact with the with the, the with the community. Uh, up until 2008, I think, when I joined the uh, Biota uh, mailing list. But during the first 10 years, no, I did everything uh, without any contact and without any inspiration, actually. Just reading articles in science magazines and, uh, and that's it. <laughs> Wonderful. No, it's always good to have simulators in the wild, so to speak, that rejoin or, or join the community. Um, Eric Burton has given you a lot of feedback and a lot of interest, and he's certainly very heavily involved with the kind of children of Polyworld as well, which is why the grouping initially came in my mind. In terms of your work with Eric, can you can you describe the feedback that he's given, and has he introduced ideas and code from things like Polyworld into Evo Rand, or are they? Do you still consider the original idea associated with Evo Rand is still motivating its development? Through the, 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 the reading I have from the mailing list, I try to get some inspiration and there are certain ideas which, well, there's one idea specifically that comes from what I read in the mailing list and from uh, Eric Burton that I'm quite interested in doing, but I'm <clears throat> not too sure how to do it, uh, is the idea of trying to measure a level of complexity or, or intelligence uh, and see whether there is a plateau or whether it goes up and down and uh, throughout the, the simulation because what a lot of people are saying is that this kind of simulator tends to plateau in terms of complexity of what emerged from the simulation. Well, I've been wondering, and that, that, that was one of the suggestions from, from Eric to try to do this kind of measurement. Um, but I've been wondering how to do this and I'm not too sure how to do it because what I want to measure is the complexity not, not of an individual but of a group of individuals. And I find this quite difficult to, to define because for example, for a while I had a, a simulation where, uh, how to say, I made it possible for a creature to come out, somehow kill another creature. And what you see emerging from the simulation is groups of species that were each occupying part of the, of the world, part of the land. Mm -hmm. And at the boundary, they were just killing the creatures that were of a different species. And that was basically, you had creatures in the middle that were feeding, reproducing themselves, and those at the boundary that were just uh, committing suicide, killing uh, creatures of, a, of another species. And I would like to have a way of defining complexity that is not related to one creature, but to the group. And uh, I find it a bit difficult to define, actually. Certainly. Uh, I mean, the phenomenon yeah. that you're describing, I refer to as nationalism, 
when it's done within noble ape, the noble ape context, which may be a bad anthropomorphic uh, <laughs> attribution, but you're describing perfectly what I would refer to as nationalism in terms of uh, regional groups and, as you say, either uh, killing or at least making it impossible for other groups to, to join the central core. This idea of, of race, can you talk a little bit more about it in the context of Evo Rand? Well, the way it was done at the beginning was not very, very good. I think the way it's done now is... is uh, <clears throat> I'm just uh, memorizing the whole genealogical tree. Is that is that clear? Mm-hmm. From from the first generation, I keep track of all the descendants and I analyze this this tree to uh, to separate the various species. So obviously, when all the descendants of a given species are are dead, and uh, then I take one of the existing species and split it in two based on the difference between the common ancestor, uh, the, the, the number of generations with the common ancestor. Um, that's the way I'm doing it now. I'm not too happy with this because I think the results may, for example, if if you have a, a species where within that species some become, let's say, plants and others are more herbivores, then it would make more sense to actually separate the herbivores as a new species rather than uh, looking at difference in generations. But there again, uh, I think it goes back to this definition of complexity. It's probably the same problem. If uh, there is a way of measuring complexity within a group, then maybe separation of species should be based on difference in that measurement. But there again, I'm not too sure exactly how to do it. I mean, it looks nice on, well, the concept is uh, is quite clear, but how to implement it, I'm, I'm not too sure yet how to do it. <laughs> That's something that I've, I've actually been uh, wondering about over about a year since Eric mentioned this, and uh, yeah, still struggling with this. Certainly. Now, you described a situation where a certain species can move in different directions and one becomes a carnivore and the other becomes a plant. Can you describe how how this is possible through EvoRand? The, the way, the, the, the rules that define the, the behavior of, uh, of a creature inside EvoRand is, uh, say, a list of uh, tests and conditions and followed by an action. And there are various types of actions that are possible. <clears throat> one is to eat another creature and another one is just called root. So when a creature takes that action, root, it becomes a plant. And when a creature takes an action to eat another creature, if it eats another creature which is a plant, I consider this as being an herbivore, if it eats another creature which is not a plant, then it's uh, a carnivore. But all those are not predefined within the simulator. They are just rules encoded inside, well, extracted from the DNA and uh, the various types of actions. One action being to be able to root itself and then it becomes a plant. That's that's not very realistic from a physical uh, point of view, but uh, it's simple to implement inside a, a simulator, and the result is actually fairly realistic because what you can see usually when you when you run the simulation, you see uh, creatures that are moving randomly, getting energy from the sun at the beginning, which I call larvae, and then you see first plants who start to occupy bodies of water, then the the the, the coast, let's say. And then after a while, herbivores, etc. 
And in terms of, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about the genetics, the the genotypes. But in terms of phenotypes, I can imagine in you know five, ten years' time, with ever increasing kind of graphics cards, complexity, algorithms, these kind of things, beautiful kind of hybrids. If if you start to visualise this in you know animals that become plants that then go back to being animals again, I mean the, the graphics. Uh, in terms of movement, in terms of what these creatures actually look like after multiple cycles could uh, produce some, some fascinating results. Well, yeah, it's true that in terms of uh, phenotype, there isn't much that I'm trying to simulate in, like being able to walk or swim. There are things like size or energy at birth or things like this. Uh, but within the 3D visualization, I do try to represent not really herbivores and carnivores, but larvae, those creatures that haven't done any complex that that they haven't done any complex uh, action. You can see them as larvae. Then you can see some kind of fish with little legs that they can walk, and the plants themselves are shown like a, some kind of flower. But uh, well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I do enjoy looking at the 3D, but it's very basic the way I represent it. Uh, there again, because usually I'm trying to represent thousands, you know, 10,000 uh, creatures. And in 3D, if I try to do some complex representation, not only takes time to do it, <laughs> but also Certainly. it would slow down pretty much the, 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 the visualization. So it's true that I don't spend much time on this. I'm just, I'm trying to use the little time I have to improve really the the, the, the uh, complexity of the space that is available for the creature to explore and uh, develop more complex uh, behaviors and potentially more complex uh, interaction in, among themselves. Certainly, certainly. I think the potential in the future with regards to collaboration, if there are engines like, I mean, for example, if Brevet, I'm not sure if you've looked at Brevet or Framsticks. I, I, I did look at it a bit. Framstick, I, I know a bit, a bit more, yeah. Certainly, but I mean, in terms of those as visualization engines, if you put in the genetics from from Evo Rand into those, and then you know, if if there was motion genetics, and then this notion of roots and plants and these kind of things, I mean, there's there's potential for a lot of really beautiful uh, visual and algorithmic collaboration. Have you thought about? I mean, particularly working with Eric Burton. Eric seems to uh, well now he he maintains two or three projects quite heavily. Do you get the sense that in the future there'll be collaboration? And uh, let's predict your kind of dream collaboration. I mean, would you like to see Evo Rand Framsticks hybridized? Can you see that working together? Well, why not? Actually, uh, at the very beginning of EvoGrid, there were two uh, directions for EvoGrid. One that was, a, that was uh, I can't remember the two terms that were being used, but one is pretty much to life today, which is the, the simulation at the molecular or chemical <laughs> level, but there was another Evergreen, which was, I can't remember the Evergreen Broad, if I remember well. Yeah, I think we changed uh, it to Biota Eve um, as the broader, but I mean, the legacy was that the, really the Evergreen idea was originally Biota Eve, and mm-hmm. then the Evergreen as it is now came probably about 18 months ago. Uh, but no, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very... So, in that context, what you could do with EvoRand is create the kind of genetic representation and then allow the farming of the kind of visual representation to go out to something like Framsticks or Brevet. And, you know, it, it seems fascinating in terms of the kind of collaborative potential of the project as well. I mean, is this, is this your aim in the you know, next five, ten years? 
I think if there was a uh, active intent of trying to get a number of simulators to be able to communicate among themselves, to share a way of uh, defining the phenotypes or the well, the, 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 the behavior or the, or the representation of, of a creature and, and share this among a number of simulators, I would be definitely very interested in, in participating in this, yes. I mean, I've, I've run, I think it was the, I'm not sure, was it 1.3, the version on your site, the one that was for yes. Linux? So I, I had some sense of the, of the simulation as it is currently. What, what kind of features are you looking to add? And I also get the sense that you're, you're the kind of quintessential artificial life hobbyist in terms of when you have time to work on it or the inspiration, you work on it, and then, you know, it remains dormant, and then you work on it in, in <laughs> you know, large large time cycles in some regards. So what what are the next major features that you're looking to put into EvoRant? Well, yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty right, because mainly because of my job, there are periods of sometimes six months where I can't do anything, then periods of uh, six months where I can do work a bit and... In six months, I managed to implement one idea, and that's it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the next main step that uh, I plan to, to do within Everan is to introduce the notion of memory inside the, the creature, so that they can have a well instead of having a instant decision all the time, that they can have a more complex rules. For example, uh, memorizing uh, the location of the offspring, for example, so that they can maintain contact and reach them again uh, later on in, in their own life, for example. And another thing that I'm planning to do, which goes probably with it, is to memorize the, the environment that the creature has been visited over time so that it can go back to a certain location, for example, its birthplace or, or yeah, the location of its descendant or its parents. Um, memorizing a place where he had built a nest, for example, so he can return to the nest, this kind of thing. At the moment, it's more, well, there's no memory, so the result is instant decision based on the perception of the environment, and that's it. And I think this is limiting pretty much the, the, the possibilities of the simulator. Certainly. Well, that almost sounds like a hybridization either with Polyworld or Noble Ape, as you describe it. So, again, yeah. I think this, this vision for the future of of collaboration, and I've I've rewritten a section of Polyworld to simulate the sea monkeys with a noble ape, and I think <laughs> the the potential is there with regards to uh, well, noble ape being the the cognitive simulation being removed and put in other simulators. So I think this is uh, all, all possible in the in the very near future. I like the idea of uh, returning to birthplaces and uh, you know mappings of uh, environments because that's certainly the uh, the narrative associated with with Noble Ape as well. Well, well there was, I think, uh, about a year ago, some start of discussion on how this could be done. And there was some discussion on uh, the notion of sharing or not sharing uh, simulation time. I, I would be quite interested in, well, if, if this was a topic of interest among a number of people, uh, that, that's something that would be definitely interested in participating in. Well, I mean, to give some background of, of the way it occurred with, with Larry Yeager and myself, uh, I volunteered probably three weekends to rewrite the necessary code and showed it to Larry and wrote a chapter based on the analysis. So, I mean, the way it's been done currently is relatively informal. 
And similarly, I know John Klein in particular is always interested in getting collaboration in Brevet as well. So I think rather than formalising these things, oftentimes the, the informal nature of these things tends to dictate that, uh, you know, if people have time to invest, then, uh, then you know, a, a couple of weekends spent a, to put the code together. But the stuff that we were discussing with regards to BioTarif was really about creating almost standards in order to do this. And I think what will happen in the future is that as these collaborations become more frequent, the best practices associated with how to actually do these things will uh, will establish themselves. Certainly my experience working with Larry was that the interfaces had to be simplified to a certain extent. We found very quickly what the perfect overlap of interfaces was. Um, whether or not this will be universalized with all simulators is, a, is another thing, but the only way to find out is to try, really. So, yeah, let's, let's move that offline in the, uh, in the near future. It would be wonderful uh, to have that opportunity. I think in particular with regards to visualization as well, what you're describing with regards to the genetics becoming more and more complicated is also beautifully described in phenotypes and uh, a visual representation of the genetics would also show that, and particularly the movement between herbivore, carnivore, and, and plant. I think there's, there are a number of potentials there. We've kind of described what you see potentially in the future with regards to Evo Rand. What would you like to see from the artificial life community to support your own hobbyist development? <laughs> the impression I have is uh, when I've shared uh, Evo Rand with, with, with other people who uh, who had more or less interest in, in that area. I think the feedback I had most of the time is that it's, it's, it's a bit complex to, to understand what is happening. I'll say the, the, the number of parameters you can play with and try to understand <clears throat> what is happening uh, over uh, a number of generations, try to analyze the evolution of, of the various species is something that seems to be quite difficult for the people who've tried to use it in the past. So Indeed, uh, for a while I was hoping that maybe by making my simulator available over internet, uh, there might be some interest in trying certain people using it, making certain suggestions. This did not really happen. It could be because it's pretty difficult and not very user-friendly. So I'm not really nowadays uh, hoping or expecting uh, the community to, to, to use Evoran and to try to suggest certain ideas of, uh, of modification, well, of, of certain <clears throat> functionality that could be added to improve, especially the, the or increase the, the, the space of uh, possibilities. Um, I'm more hoping to, through, well, using certain simulators that exist in the community or reading and listening to Biota Live and reading the, the mails in the uh, conversation list, to, to have inspirations. <clears throat> I'm trying to get inspirations from all, all directions, really. Uh, what others are doing, what people are saying, what Dick Gordon mentioned also, which is that the, um, basically the complexity will come more from, I'll say, the, 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 the interpretation of the DNA being something that could be evolving itself or being more or less part of the DNA, that the DNA itself encode the interpretation of itself uh, something that is fundamental to the, the emergence of uh, well, to the to to the emergence of ever more complex behaviors. Those are ideas that I try to to get inspiration from, uh, also from scientific magazines, magazines about uh, the origin of life, 
I'm more trying to get inspiration from all directions. I'm not uh, hoping so much to have a direct feedback from people using Evoran because it seems to be, well, uh, I wouldn't say boring, but uh, difficult. Well, <laughs> but if, that's the impression I have today, yeah. Yeah. 